0: Folks, today is Tuesday, August 23rd. Welcome to episode number 181 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, And over the next 30 minutes, I'll be going through the top cybersecurity news stories of the day and giving you my expert analysis on each of those stories, on what it means to you as a practitioner, or if you're looking to break into the industry, there's gonna be value for you here. So get your coffee, get comfy, settle in. It's gonna be a fun episode today, okay? Before we get into it, I want to say shout out and thanks to this stream sponsor, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Is it? It's right. Hold on. I can't. I can't see. It's over here. Yeah. They're in the corner. Eric Taylor and the whole gang over at Barricade Cyber. They are a wonderful longtime supporter of the channel. Cyber criminals have stolen your company's data and derailed your business operations. Barricade Cyber Solutions will help you resolve this ransomware attack and get your business back on track if you don't have a plan if ransomware to hit your business right now and you don't have a plan make the CIO's day set up a call with Eric you go to barricadesyber.com, just have a conversation with them bring a solution <laughs> to the CIO uh, as you bring a problem and you will be uh, riding high trust me I want to remind you if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs each episode just like this one. Of the daily cyber threat briefing is worth half a cpe so that stacks right two and a half a week 10 a month roughly be sure to document literally the easiest and i would argue the most enjoyable way to earn cpes if you've been here a while you know what i'm talking about if you're new here trust me this is a really enjoyable way to earn CPEs. if you don't know what cpes are if you have cybersecurity certifications you likely will need to continue you know practicing in the industry to demonstrate the competency of of your ability to to represent that certification that's what CPEs are so just say what's up in chat Justin Azuma just said what's up if he wants to use this for a CPE he obviously can and if an auditor calls him shenanigans on it he can just point the auditor to the stream and all the streams that Justin joined and say here you go here's my Auditable evidence my good morning. Everyone is burned into the stream. I'll see you next cycle for my more CPEs Okay, so just say what's up. If you don't know what to say say hashtag team live if you're watching on replay hashtag team replay There is uh, very much team Edward team Jacob vibes going on with that whole thing and the fact that I know about uh, Twilight it, it, it it's unsettling to me because <laughs> I don't know why I know about it uh, but you know if you want to get really crazy Go ahead and drop where where you're coming from. Maybe we'll run the table and see if we can cover the continent, uh, the uh, Earth today. All major continents except Antarctica. Nick Barker's representing at 5 a.m. Good morning. I saw Florida in here. Team Team Live today with George Strashberger. Hey Kimberly, really good to see you. Okay, so we've definitely got we've definitely got North America fully represented. So let me know if you're coming in from Europe, England. Um, England, like England's not Europe. Europe, South America. Africa, Australia, Asia. Let, let, let's see if we can run it today. Thanks, Anna Lynn, on the audio. Definitely loving that. All right, guys. Let me continue. If you, if you're live, love it. Let me see where our numbers are at right now. Looks like we're we're at 79, almost 80. Just on Simply Cyber, 83. It's it, You guys are stacking in here hard. I love it. Um, I appreciate you all being here. It's going to be a good show, like I said. Now, if you're on hashtag Team Replay. Like some of you are, right? That's fine, no big deal. Thanks for catching the stream all the same. Be sure to drop a comment with hashtag team replay just so you have that audible evidence. Now, if you are team replay and team live knows this cause I say it all the time, you have superpowers. You have the ability to time travel. So literally you can skip the pleasantries and get right into the news just by grabbing the slider and pulling it to the right, maybe two minutes. I like to talk and welcome everybody for a couple minutes. Um, or if you're listening on your audio podcast app of choice, you can just hit the 30 second jump forward button three, four times. You can skip all this and what a wonderful superpower that is. Also exclamation point podcast in chat. If you want to see how to get access to that, um, audio podcast version of this story that I release every day right after this stream ends. Okay. Woo. All right. So now that we've covered all of the, um, what, what what do they call that like in the government they have a term for it it's like the opening opening remarks or whatever let me uh sit back relax for a couple of minutes and welcome everyone into chat with my coffee good morning everybody i got my i Heart shirt on just representing a little little niss love uh that grc course was banging all last week uh the deal the one dollar deal wrapped up yesterday so i wanted to represent the i Heart just to let people know what's shaking hey eric Silverman, joel belton james driscoll in the house ryan Spidgehawk. hey there tom bishop just spit on myself a little bit casey barges hey how you doing good to see you it's podcast dennis hunter justin Loken on the regular hey carrie matthew graham how's everybody doing today everybody good did i say hashtag podcast i'm such a donkey I'm sorry, Dennis Hunter. New Delhi, India representing We have we just checked off Asia. It's exclamation point podcast. I'll actually type it in because I lied to you. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. All right. So we've got Asia, North America. As the chat goes, let me know, guys, if we see a uh, South America, maybe Brazil, BSEC's in the house. We've got a bonus story today. Saudi Arabia, Brian. Thank you. We've got a bonus story today. Uh, compliments of BSEC. It does warrant sharing with you all. And... Because it's not part of the audio podcast, I will be uh, doing my best rendition with manual sound effects and manual readover. So that's something to look forward to. Checking in from Pittsburgh, Sekmeister. Almost a foreign country. Just kidding. Just kidding. Oceania. Oh, yeah. New Zealand, Australia representing down there. Internal stranger. We've got it. What's up, James McQuigan coming in from Dallas on travel, I bet. Nigeria's in the house. There we go, people. Africa. All we need is um, Europe and South America. And Europe, I know there's a ton of people from the UK who always drop in this stream. Mm. Thank you, Yusuf, for representing uh, Africa in today's stream. All right, everybody. India's in the house. Yep. Hey, guys, as a fun bonus, uh, I teased it yesterday if you stayed on for the end of the show. Uh, oh, Germany. Sasha's here. All right, guys. All we gotta do is hit South America. We got Brazil in the house, Guyana, French Guiana. All right, hey, okay, Caribbean, Leonardo. That's pretty, pretty dope. I do love that. Um, we're gonna be running a Streamlabs interface today. Kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, oh, there was a Botswana. Okay, thanks, Lisa Lafleur. So we're we're okay. So Europe is definitely representing. Africa's pulling it. Come on, South America. Where are you at? Where are you at? I know part of South America, Argentina, you're in the Eastern time zone. Nick Barker's up right now. All right. We almost did it guys. We almost did it. Mm. We're almost, we're almost there. All right. Jay Smith, you don't happen to be in uh, Suriname right now. Do you? We're trying to, we're trying to run the table, trying to run the the world map here. All right. I guess it's not going to happen today. Guys, sit back, relax. (laughs) Sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy. I'm going to change the stream up uh, a little bit, see if you guys like it. Panama? Mm. Central America? It's very, very close. Very close. No one's in Suriname. I'm just naming out countries in in, uh, South America. All right. uh, Canadian transplant? Uh, A Peru transplant? Mm. Arturo? We'll take it. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. All right. I'm going to count that. <laughs> See, Leonardo must be a red teamer. Okay. Talking about VPN and popping out in Argentina. That works. That is a hack solution. I like it. I like it. Okay, guys, let me change my, uh, let me, let me dazzle your eyes here with a new fun layout that I've been messing with. Stand by. Stand Standby to standby. All right. Let me know if you guys, wait, hold on. That's not right. Oh, there we go. All right, feel it, guys. Got 122 of you in here. Let's drop in and do the news. Thanks for being here today. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines.
1: It's Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. State backed attacks excluded from cyber insurance. The insurance marketplace Lloyds of London will introduce exclusions for cyber insurance policies to not cover catastrophic state-backed attacks. These exclusions will begin in new policies in March 31, 2023. Lloyds warns that all insurance underwriters need to make it extremely clear in policies that state-sponsored attacks fall outside of coverage. This applies regardless of any declared war between two countries. This reflects that state-sponsored attacks often aren't directly after financial gain, but are the result of geopolitical considerations. This also comes as insurance providers shy away from ransomware coverage as costs increase.
0: Uh, Yeah, so like from the office of here's my shocked face, where's my feed? All right, from the office of here's my shocked face, this one should surprise nobody, okay? Lloyd's of London, one of the kind of the major overarching uh, overlords of cyber um, of insurance uh, is saying that state back attacks will be excluded from insurance policies. Okay, couple things here, guys. There's there's actually a lot to pick on here. And cyber insurance is a wicked niche field or interest within our field. A lot of the uh, tech people <laughs> think insurance is boring, and I'll get I'll give you that. It's not the most sexy, but there it does have a place. And as insurance becomes more and more in demand with Kind of to combat ransomware from a business risk perspective, um, insurance uh, is 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 becoming more mainstream, more front and center, more discussed at the CISO level. So I'll tell you this: if you don't know this, five years ago, it was like it was like Oklahoma Sooner uh, homesteading for for insurance. Insurance providers would be running like across the landscape of businesses, just like selling, selling, selling. Like here's a dollar for a thousand dollar policy. Here, you know. $10 million policy. Like just, just lock it in, get the client base, get the client base. Right. So, cause they were thinking, who cares? Right. Like what's this, what's cyber going to do? Right. Then enter ransomware. Ransomware punches everybody in the mouth. It is not a controlled risk. A insurance companies don't have actuarial tables to do any type of analysis, to figure out the right premium to charge. And two, like, it's not, it, you can't say that like, la has a higher chance of ransomware than like omaha nebraska so the rates are higher there versus there like cyber attacks don't give a crap where you are geographically like there are no nation boundaries right so insurance companies started getting punched in the mouth now about a year ago 18 months ago we saw this shift in the industry the the cyber insurance industry when it came up for policy renewal the the insurance companies have always sent out like little questionnaires but the people with all due respect The people sending the questionnaires out didn't really know like when the responses came back how to interpret them. Again, they were just collecting data. You know, maybe you have MFA, you don't have MFA, they they it it goes up a little bit. Fast forward to like a year ago. Now the policies are going up four X, six X, eight X, which by the way, the CFO and the CIO want to know what the hell this line item is when it was like, I don't know. $40,000 last year, and now it's $360,000, right? So these are real implications. Now, on top of that, insurance providers stopped giving insurance policies because if you didn't have like EDR, MFA, security awareness training, like some of the basic, basic foundation pieces, they were like, we're not even going to touch you. I, I know of a company that reached out to what was it, 28 carriers, 28 insurance carriers, and 24 of them didn't even want to discuss writing a policy for them based on three question like response from three questions. So that's that's where it is right now. Now, to the point of this lloyds ludden story, back when Not NotPetya hit um, Mer, Merck, um, which you can Google this, it's a huge story. You should totally know it. If you're new to the industry, you should totally know. To me, Not NotPetya and what it did to Merck Relative to ransomware, was on the level of like uh, noteworthy, on what Stuxnet did to industrial control systems. Two two different animals, but like the impact was wild. Okay, so check it out. Merck gets hit. They have an insurance policy. They call it in. They're like, oh, you know, we almost sank our business. It was like a billion dollar policy uh, call, Um, not policy, but like you know, um, they 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 wanted a million, a billion dollars in like restitution or whatever, and the company that wrote the insurance policy took him to court and said, oh, no, 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 no. This was Russia on Ukraine action, act of war, doesn't cover in your policy. And Merck ended up winning that court case, which set in motion legal precedents on how these type of uh, situations would be handled, which is exactly why Lloyds of London is now explicitly excluding it from um policies. But I do want to point out I do want to point out when they say exclude state-backed attacks from cyber insurance policies, guys. There's a thing called attribution. Okay, it's a very difficult thing in our industry to do. And attribution basically says this is who did it, right? So, like, whatever. Um, lapse. Uh, hold on. Let me give an example. Hive ransomware hits or Conti their final their final swan song. Uh, Conti hit Costa Rican government a few months ago, right before Conti disbanded. We know it was Conti because they're ransomware threat actors and they stick their name all over it. That means we have high confidence, almost certainty, that you can attribute it <clears throat> you can give attribution to Conti. Now, when not Petya hits and it's Russia on Ukraine and it's obvious to everyone, how do you get that attribution? How do you know that it was Russia? Well, the way the code's written, based on TTPs from you know APT twenty nine in the past, like you could start piecing these pieces together and have a higher level of confidence, but you can't say with 100% certainty because the nation state threat actors, the APTs, they're really good at what they do. They don't want you to know it's them. Or in some cases they'll hire criminal gangs, like private enterprises. Think of them as like private mercenaries to execute an attack on an adversary. And they can be like, Oh, I don't know. Like we really should uh, condone. We shouldn't condone that behavior, but they're never going to actually do anything right thanks zalia for, zalia for for becoming a squad member so anyways all of this is to say i think that this is a fine policy but you're going to run into all sorts of things where the insurance company is going to go oh that was state back attack or on the other end the victim's going to say yeah i get russia is fighting ukraine right now and we live in i don't know like belarus and we got hit with something and you're saying that it was part of this um, cyber war attack but I'm telling you it wasn't and then it's going to get into a very very muddled game of who is attributed the attack right and unfortunately private businesses aren't really going to have the the arsenal or the or the the power to effectively get that level of attribution to a high level so as I said cyber insurance is a niche thing everybody thinks it's wicked boring but I'm telling you if you if you unpack it it gets really really, interesting and very, very complicated, very, very quickly. And because it's insurance, we're talking real money, like real money. Okay. So if you're going to go up the GRC path, if you want to be senior risk, if you ever want to be a CISO, like in the next five years, um, understanding cyber insurance is huge because that is one of the topics on the agenda for the CFO and the CIO. You know, And ultimately it'll roll up to the board if it's a big enough number. All right.
1: That was my rant. Fancy! Lockbit hit with a DDoS. Last month, the security company Entrust disclosed threat actors exfiltrated data from its network. Believe computer sources said this represented a ransomware attack. Last week, Lockbit took credit for the attack and began posting data on its leak site. That information proved hard to find because security researchers found it unavailable due to a DDoS attack. The security research group VX Underground reports that Lockbit believes the attack is from someone connected to Entrust. The attackers added a message to the site's browser user agent demanding removal of the stolen data. In response, Lockbit's site now says it plans to upload all of Entrest's data as a torrent for anyone to download. Wow. Cozy Bear. Used-
0: okay, so hold on. I, I'm a little confused here. Um, is this, I mean, to me, this is. Uh, yeah, okay, so this is. Again, I always shoot from the hip, guys. I'm hearing this for the first time with you. If I'm not mistaken. This is a perfect example of hackback, right? Hackback is the idea when like a company gets attacked by a cyber criminal, whether it's a script kid, whether it's a APT, whatever, you do something in response. You don't just like roll over and, and you know, and just call law enforcement and have them take over or be a victim and, and and just take it right. Like you hack back. Now I want to say this is called active defense, Right? Uh or it's partially active defense. Um John Strand, Black Hills Information Security anti Siphon actually has an incredibly pay what you can class on active defense and cyber deception that I'd encourage everybody to check out. But um you gotta be careful hacking back. I know it seems sexy and, and fun to stand up for yourself and, and handle it, but if you don't know what you're doing, you can cause worse problems. And um technically, I mean and like Entrust, yes, you could say it's justified because they are protecting themselves, but this isn't like someone stepping into your house and you jettisoning them out of your home forcefully, right? This is Entrust launching a denial-of-service attack on a website, which is... If if Lizard Squad executes a distributed denial-of-service on PlayStation Network on Christmas Day 2014, that's a crime. So if Intrust launches a denial of service attack on this website on December on August 20th, 2022, it's a crime, right? So you've got to be careful. Obviously, I don't think anyone's going like Lockbit's not going to come forward and press charges and want, you know, justice served, but I'm just saying, you got to be careful cuz you're basically doing you know, uh like unauthorized operations. Now, I will say, having said all that as a disclaimer, Way to go Entrust for being pissed and and coming up with you know kind of a clever way um, instead of paying to have the the data permanently deleted or whatever, they did a denial of service attack. I'm curious where they got all the endpoints to do to the denial of service attack. Usually, distributed denial of service is uh is like through bot farms and stuff like that. So I don't know if 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 Entrust like compromised boxes, probably not. But I, I you know I'm not sure where they did this. But, by the way, um, I do have to tell you, the distributed denial of service, as I've said mil- millions of times here on the channel, it is a temporary solution. It's only as good as long as the fire hydrant is spraying water in the face of the victim. The second you stop it, the water you know, basically n- nerfs down, ebbs back into the fire hydrant, and the victim can just walk forward. The website can be up afterwards, right? So... Technically, yeah, Lockbit's gonna just release it publicly, but all they really have to do is wait for interest to finish doing the denial of service attack. So, um, okay, thank you, Jay Smith. Use their own soft tokens. Yeah, very interesting. You don't see hackbacks very often. I might actually, uh, I've got like a cataloging system for stuff like interesting stories, so you can pull them up quickly for case study and stuff. And this definitely falls under hackback. You don't typically see hackback as widely publicized um, because a lot of times people don't do it and then when they do uh, it doesn't get shared right right two wrongs don't make a right you need to improve your security hygiene yep exactly
1: here we go microsoft accounts to bypass mfa security researchers at mandiant released a report detailing this new technique from the russian-backed threat group This exploits the self-enrollment process for applying MFA, where organizations allow users to enroll a device the next time they log in. Since there's no additional verification to this enrollment, anyone with a username and password can enroll their own device into MFA as long as they're the first to try it. This can be useful for obtaining access to deactivated or test accounts, which Mandiant observed. From there, attackers accessed organizations' VPN infrastructure. Mandiant recommends organizations ensure additional protections to verify users when they register accounts.
0: Among other things. Okay, so there's a couple. BSEC suggested that this be the uh, story of the week um, for, I I would assume, for peers. uh, And I'll talk about that in a second. But this is a really important story. This is actionable. Uh, If you're working in information security, this is actionable for you today. Okay, so check it out. Check it out. Here's the deal. Multi-factor authentication is a wonderful control. It's not a silver bullet. It does li- raise the level of risk. Of risk, please. It it raises the level of effort for a cyber attacker to successfully um, compromise a system or a box or a user or whatever. So you should totally use it. Now, here's what they're saying here. Here, right? When we traditionally think of compromising MFA, it's like you're social engineering a victim. Hey, i'm google and i'm about to send you a we suspect activity on your account i'm about to send you a six digit code uh please give it back to me and in reality it's a threat actor logging in with your account knowing that you're going to get that six digit code okay this is why like sms text messaging isn't the best because you can do sim swapping you can be socially engineered hardware tokens pretty good because you know you're going to have it but then you run the risk of losing it there's all sorts of different options for mfa now Larger organizations, when they're rolling out MFA, which, by the way, just fun fact, if you have never rolled out MFA at an organization, it's much more involved and much more painful than you would think. It is not toggling it on and going for happy hour beers. It's 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 a pain in the butt, really, and it has a lot to do with um, fringe use cases and adoption by an end user community that is not all technical, right? Um, or they don't, they have flip phones, right? Like there's all sorts of nuances I could do. I could either do a whole video on rolling out MFA and all the pain points, or, um, maybe even like a, like a micro class on like how to effectively roll out MFA at an organization. But anyways, the the use cases are small with cozy bear, which by the way, I got to keep pointing over here, cozy bear, which is, um, one of the more advanced Russian uh, GRU, FSB. I'm not sure exactly which one it is. It's one of those two, but basically like they're CIA, NSA. They're wicked advanced. They're wicked skilled threat actors, okay? What they are finding is larger organizations will allow you to enroll yourself into an account. So if you've ever done this, you log in with your username and password and you get a pop-up that says, hey, your organization needs a little bit more information from you. Like And then it, it runs you through an MFA workflow. Go download the app. Click on this QR code. It, it, put in the six-digit number. You're up and running, right? It's supposed to be easy for IT, help desk, and end users to enroll users, especially when you're dealing with like a 1,000 and up organizations, right? Think about 50,000 user org and you're rolling out MFA. You can't put 50,000 calls on the help desk. That'd be insane. So they do this thing. Now, once you have MFA, that's it, you're off and running, you have a couple like reset my password, all this stuff. But what the threat actors have found is that dormant accounts, accounts, like Carl left in January, but no one disabled Carl's account. You don't have processes in place to disable accounts. So threat actors find Carl's password in a data dump, they log in and immediately identify that they can enroll themselves in MFA, they enroll themselves and now they have a valid username, password, and configured MFA device. And guess what? Game over. They're in your environment. And now they can start doing privilege escalation, you know, d- dumping creds, d- doing all the things that threat actors do, okay? So Jeremiah Gutierrez knows what I'm talking about. You do. There's a couple things you can do here. There's a couple things you can do here, okay? I'm going to give you like a clear, like three-point action plan. First of all, you definitely need um, like out processing procedures. Like when someone leaves your organization, either voluntarily or involuntarily, you need to have some type of checklist that someone's responsible for signing off on, usually HR, that says their user accounts have been disabled. And by the way, if you're not using federated authentication, you better make dang sure that you're shutting off all their accounts. Meaning, shut off their AD account, obviously. But then if you had cloud-based solutions that weren't federated, make sure you disable that because they're going to be able to log into it way on down the road. Make sure any like custom homegrown apps, which is gross but happens all the time, make sure they're disabled from that. If they had access to shared accounts, you may want to change the password on those. Okay, so that's that's out-processing. Secondly, this is something you could do right now. Okay, especially if you're in an Nova 365 environment, go in and look at your user authentications. Sort by last logged in. If you have someone who hasn't logged in, in, and I'm being incredibly generous here, if you haven't seen someone who hasn't logged in in a year, guess what, chances are they don't work here anymore or they don't use that account anymore. Either way, I don't care. Disable the account. There's different levels of, uh, of extreme here. For me, over a year, disable the account and see if someone calls. I know that that isn't the best option that can add add some friction. But guess what? Chances are you're fine. They haven't logged in in a year. Or collect all the names. This takes more time. Collect all the names of everyone who hasn't logged in a year or six months or three months. Right? You got to think, well, okay. And then send it to their managers and be like, is this still a valid account? Right? Or again, shut it off and have like a short list notify help desk hey i've shut these accounts off whatever basically the the tldr here is shut off accounts that people aren't logging into i do want to r- remind you something okay one people do take maternity and paternity leave be mindful of that two some people take bereavement leave right i you know i've dealt with that in my my experience right so you can't just be like oh 30 days disabled right you can't do that because there's there are legitimate reasons but a year definitely six months in my opinion definitely so be mindful of that and add it as a recurring activity on your uh scheduled task list right like like set a a monthly calendar invite for yourself to do user account review here's the final thing i'll tell you about this um i said three-point plan so i'll give you one more point after here's the final thing relative to this part. When people don't have access to something, they will bitch and moan and complain and send multiple emails until they get the access. Fact, because they want to do their job. When people have access and no longer need it because they switched roles or left the company, they won't mention it because they don't care. It doesn't matter they still have access. They no longer need it, but there's no impotence. There's no motivation. There's no driver for them to make a point to anyone that they still have access. Right, so this is why you need to do user account reviews. Okay, and then um, the final thing, and this was the um, the point that they said in the story itself, you can do uh, you can tweak the workflows for user enrollment. So let's say you're going to self serve. So you put in a username and password. Hey, we're going to have to walk you through the multi factor authentication. Instead of just allowing them to um, enroll at that moment, make them validate their identity again. Either have them have some type of technical workflow where it validates their phone number, it sends them a text message, or they have to call in, which I know is a friction because now they have to talk to someone and there's a step and everything like that. But whatever it is, if you add an extra level of identity validation, then this attack this attack right here doesn't work anymore or it becomes much more difficult for them to execute on. All right? So in conclusion, (laughs) out briefing, account review, Identity validation processes. Thank you. This is my TED Talk.
1: UK Conservatives go ahead with online voting. The UK's Conservative Party will offer internet voting for the first time as part of its leadership election. About 160,000 qualifying party members will receive a ballot pack in the mail that will include a paper mail-in ballot as well as security codes to vote online. The party used guidance from the UK's National Cyber Security Center to build its online voting system, Earlier this month, the NCSC warned against the Conservatives' plans for online voting. As part of a revised process, the codes in the ballot packs will expire as soon as they're used, meaning you can't log back in. The winner of this election will be the UK's next prime minister, so pretty high stakes.
0: Okay, so two things really quick. One, um, you know, Internet voting, it makes it more accessible to everybody. The United States has been doing uh, kind of all sorts of different voting. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of opportunity here for manipulation. Uh, integrity, uh, you know, calling into question integrity, all these things. But um, guys, it's 2022. We're all hyper-connected. I-, I love that they're doing this. I hope that um, the, the the mechanisms that enable internet voting become secure enough and, and there's a high level of confidence in it in order to allow it to happen. Because I think it is a cool idea. Shout out to DEF CON Village. Uh, voting village because they have that they've had it for years like probably six years now seven years um and they always do these type of things uh one thing i do want to share i don't know about you guys but like when i look at this this right here is and for my uk people i mean this with no disrespect this is british foreign secretary liz truss truss and rishi sunak former chancellor of the exchequer and their top contenders to become the next british prime minister doesn't this look like a reality game show? And like the winner of the game show becomes the next British Prime Minister? Like it almost like they're holding hands, like looking at the host over here who's got a rose. Like I know it, it's it's because of the dramatic lighting in the studio audience, but it just when I saw this, I'm like, what are they doing? Is this like a reality game show? Okay, let's go ahead and listen to
1: the read. And now, thanks to this week's episode sponsor, Code Forty Two have you been thinking about launching an insider risk management program you don't need to be big brother to effectively address insider risk code 42 believes that the three e's should define any irm program expertise education and enforcement shift your security culture from watchdog to guide dog and everybody wins learn more at code42.com show me
0: all right so let me just take a hot minute here really quickly uh, and share a couple things with you guys. Now, can you really see this? I don't know. Okay, so some of you, hopefully, many of you got this email yesterday. I started a new me- email. You can do exclamation point newsletter in chat right now, and you'll get a link to sign up for this. This is a once a week email that I will send Monday morning. And it's basically, I think it's something around crush, like you crushing your week. Allow me to help you crush your week every week with actionable intel and basically guys it's a very quick read i give you one actionable item for your end users i give you one actionable item for your peers and one actionable item for your executives so i target the three audiences that we regularly interface with and this right here these are my thoughts this bold how you can use this this is me telling you you know, with, you know, all the liability disclaimers there is, right? Like, this is my opinion, whatever. I am a cybersecurity professional, but um, this is how you can operationalize it in a very clear, succinct way. This, this email is like a 90 second read. Uh, You could take it and do whatever you want with it, but I make it so you can literally just skim it on your phone and say, okay, for my end users, what can I do? I like, if you're trying to roll out an information security program, awareness program, excuse me, and you're looking for material every week on what to send to your end users, how to educate your end users, sign up for this every Monday. I'll tell you exactly what you could do, all right? (laughs) Tell your end users, do not plug USB drives you get in the mail. And why? Because it's based on this story that we covered in, in the uh the previous week and obviously if you want I actually put a link here this goes directly to the YouTube live stream the daily cyber threat briefing but it's time marked for when I talked about this exact story and then if you want the actual ciso series stories it's here rinse and repeat rinse and repeat guys this was the pilot uh email I sent on Monday it was well received by many many people i am looking for constructive feedback so if you have any please let me know if you want to sign up go to um Hit exclamation point newsletter right now. This is what it looks like, and you just go ahead and type in your email address here. It says get the app because, I guess, oh, give me that sweet intel is what it says now. I'm gonna have to fix that, but anyways, you get the idea. You get the idea. Uh, also, really quickly, tomorrow at 11:30 a.m., I will be live streaming on ThreatGen's YouTube channel. I will be, ad- I will be, <laughs> I will be adopting the persona of Muddy Water, a.k.a. Static Kitten. This is an Iranian threat actor group that specializes in espionage, and they've attacked government and oil sector. And I will be doing the oil sector uh, because it's espionage. My goal with this one is to drive the businesses PL to zero, effectively taking them out of business because I just put them on and wear them like a pair of pants. So if you're interested in that, um, Go to uh, ThreatGen's YouTube channel. I think if you do exclamation point ThreatGen in chat, you should get a URL to it. But I'll be doing this tomorrow. All right, let's continue.
1: ...flaw found in Chromium OS audio server. Microsoft security researcher Jonathan Barr Orr found a bug in the service which routes audio to peripherals. This could. Hold on one second. Uh,
0: Victor. Victor and everybody else, you have to go to the website and sign in like and add your email address and then hit submit. It's like a newsletter thing, so you have to opt into it. I can't I can't put you into it. You have to sign up. Go to exclamation point newsletter. Is it not working? Hold on one second. Stand by. Oh, there it is. Yeah. See nightbot pages.simplycyber.io slash news. Go there and send sign up. Yeah, you have to put your own email address in. Thank you. Thank you, Desmond. Thank you, everybody. Monday morning, you, you'll you get it,
1: use audio metadata to cause a local memory corruption, audio played in a browser or over a paired Bluetooth device could trigger the bug. Ultimately, the flaw could open the door to remote code execution or reported the issue to Google back in April. It was already in process of patching the flaw when it received the report and released an update in mid June. Attackers target Traveler. Okay,
0: so you know whatever good on microsoft for being the one who reported this i don't know if it was microsoft's threat actor group um but looks like it's a rare bug uh in chrome os i won't spend a ton of time on this one but what i will say is it was critical in that it could allow remote code uh unauthenticated execution which is like the absolute worst anyone who could hit your box could run whatever code they wanted including malware so we want to get that fixed. It is a very rare, you know, audio file metadata type thing, which I guess maybe means that it would have been easy to exploit because anyone could have sent you something. I I'm not 100 percent sure. To me, this this uh, story right here. Hold on, yeah. This hold on. I gotta learn the 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 scope of like my window here. Um, this story right here. It's like a rare bug. You wouldn't like basic fundamental. Practices, best practices wouldn't have prevented this from happening. But there is a best practice of keeping your systems up to date, patched, right? If you can set it to auto patch, set it. But guys, if you're running Chrome OS, patch it. That's as simple as it is. There's a really nasty bug that can, you know, really screw your system over. I have no indication that it's being actively exploited, which means it's not um close your computer right now and run home and patch your Chrome OS, but you know. Make it a priority to do it in the next few days. Which, by the way, you should you should keep your software patched. Like, that's that should be a... that's That's basic cyber hygiene. What's up, Brandon Douglas? Good morning to you.
1: ...with fake reservations. The recent uptick in travel has seen the threat group TA558 ramping up malicious activity. The group operated a 2018 campaign of fake reservation emails with malicious links. It revived the strategy, but with a new twist. Following a larger malware trend, the group now uses RAR and ISO file attachments to their malicious emails. This leads to the execution of a PowerShell script, followed by downloading the async RAT. Microsoft's recent ban on macros by default in Office documents led many threat groups to change to similar tactics.
0: Okay, this is kind of similar to the story that we talked about yesterday. So if you were here yesterday, you know what's going on. Um, I will tell you, I just traveled to black hat and my flights got all sorts of screwed up and I had a really rough travel day on the way back but they're are pretty sad they're pretty they're gonna threat actor right when you're traveling and you get a notification light has changed or that their your flights canceled or your bags are being routed to Djibouti or something you're you're probably not going to read the I'm just, I'm thinking real about myself I'm like click 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 you're trying like you you got one hand on a carry-on you got your phone you're, you're trying to like navigate the airport not bump into people get to where you got to get to like I wouldn't review I mean unless it looked wicked sketch probably wouldn't review it I probably would click through it right hey click here to rebook your flight or hey your flight's going to be uh you're going to be bumped out of your seat unless you um uh check in via this url right I mean Good on, good on uh, threat actors. the the only the only ch- challenge with this particular story or whatever attack sequence is that with most fishes like COVID related fishes, thanks Pedro songs for the sub. Most co- like COVID fishes, like you could send that at any point, right? I could send that in the middle of the night, the middle of the morning, whenever you receive it, it still makes sense that I got it. If I get an email right now, sitting at my desk, streaming the daily cyber threat briefing that says my flight's been canceled. I'm going to be like, this is total crap, like obviously. So it, it it raises the stakes of a moving target for the threat actors because you have to hit me while I'm in transit. But if they are getting hooked into you know, United Airlines, is United still an airline? I don't know. I might be aging myself here. Uh, but whatever, American Airlines, Southwest, all these, like if you could hook in there and know when people are traveling, then you could target them. But again, that's like a lot of effort to randomly strike. Like you'd almost have to do like, you uh, like it would be worth it to a threat actor, but you'd have to do like real work to break into like an airline or a reservation company, right? And then get the itinerary of X amount of people, then have hack some type of like, financial system or crypto currency exchange to find people with high net worth and then attack them. I guess maybe you could go after people who are booked on private jets or first class, but even then you're rolling the dice on whether or not you're going to strike a uh a, a whale or not. It just I don't know, man. From 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 my perspective of like how threat threat actors, I'm not saying they're lazy. They're incredibly um opportunistic and business savvy in many cases, but a lot of times they don't need to put in like Mission Impossible level skill and effort. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of fat waddling ducks or birds that can't fly, just kind of waddling around that they can scoop up and and grab and eat. You know what I mean? There's no there's no reason to go after the majestic bald eagle soaring in the sky. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a great feather in the cap, and maybe you 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 strike it rich. But again, like. Why, why would why would they do that when they could just vacuum up all the um, all the money on the floor?
1: All right. Industry proved slow to patch a new study by Blue Voyant found that out of almost 500 vendors in the media industry, it observed 28 percent with critical vulnerabilities on Internet facing systems. Content management providers accounted for 50 percent of these vulnerabilities. Meanwhile, the study found less than 15 percent of media monetization platforms hosting vulnerable systems. Looking at the recent Atlassian Confluence vulnerability, Blue Voyant found eight monitored companies had not patched the high-severity issue six weeks after its release. Mm -hmm. NSO Group shuffles leadership.
0: Sorry, guys, my mouse is, like, stuttering across my desk, so it's very difficult for me to jump over and hit pause on the the audio. Um, Okay, so, interesting. Basically, they say media industry vendors, but they're not talking. When I saw that, I was thinking, like, you know, like record producers and you know like like music media or art media, but they're really talking about mul- like web web media. Um, and based on what I could tell, it sounds like it's things like um, uh, you know streaming platforms, but also like WordPress, like you know uh, blog hosting sites and stuff like that. Uh, basically, SaaS providers for internet services. You can see here 50% were content management, which is like blogs and stuff like that, distribution. Um, I'm not surprised, guys. You know, not every like most industries aren't doing great except financial services. Um, this this company, there's gotta be a link to the report right here. Figured it. Let's just take a sniff really quick. Thank you. Ghostry make oh, I don't want to do that. All right. Well, here's the thing they're not doing a great job of protecting their stuff. I don't know what how they define zero tolerance findings, critical vulnerabilities in internet-facing systems. Commonly, yeah, I would call. I wouldn't. They're trying to invent a new term here. Zero tolerance findings. How about like critical, like critical vulnerabilities, critical risks, high likelihood of exploitation. Like we've got terms already for this, bud. Um. Whatever. I guess. Okay. <laughs> The t- the takeaway here is as you're engaging in third party services, SaaS providers, you know, make sure you get a good a good contract in place. And the reason being that you can like legally go after them if there is a hot mess on fire. But you've gotta, you know, you gotta take a risk. There's always gonna be risk. As you're engaging with other organizations, you're adopting whatever their like lowest level of security effort is, right? Like their Carl. You're 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 engaging with their Carl so whatever you don't really hear about this industry too much honestly it's kind of a unreported industry but not surprising I, i'm not surprised
1: the israeli spyware company's ceo shalev julio stepped down effective immediately replaced in the role by coo yaron shohat on an interim basis writer sources say the company will cut 100 employees as part of an overall reorganization Part of this will see the company focusing on NATO member countries and streamlining operations. Remember, we just posted... All right, well, all
0: right. here's the thing. NSO Group, famously known for their Pegasus software, um, they have been embroiled in the media for a while. A couple of things have popped out, like uh, the Catalina region um, of either Spain, I think it's Spain, um, they had a, a politician who found Pegasus on... Their phones and stuff, um, which would indicate that Pegasus is being used for reasons that are not aligned with what the company officially says. Big surprise. Um, They sell spyware, guys, like high end nation state level espionage tooling, and they're a business. So, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm about to say, Kimberly? Straight cash, homie. Straight cash, homie. Right. You can have, uh, you know, guiding principles and an about us page on your website. But at the end of the day, cash rules everything around me. Cream! So, I guess all I'll say with this, like, this doesn't really change anything about NSO Group. If I had to, I'm going to put on my 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 skepticals. Yeah, Get it? Skepticals? Okay, I'm going to put on my skepticals here and say that it's potential. This is complete speculation based on nothing than my thoughts. That this guy may be a either a martyr, uh, and like a sacrificial lamb, um, in order to appease like shadow powers that were like, This is ridiculous. NSO group is being used here, here, and here. This guy needs to go. Or, and this is kind of what my gut is: like, this guy was driving the business to take on these contracts that didn't align with their guiding principles, right? Like highest bidder, um inserting themselves in, you know, political like in politics and stuff like that, helping um either the highest bidder regardless of what side of the fence they're on, and the board said like, "Okay, you're way too noisy, you're way too public, you're way too loud, you're bad for business. You're fired." Right? So No CEO gets fired, right? Like it's it's too disruptive to the business, like from an optics perspective. So CEO typically steps down or retires if they're old enough; they'll officially retire. But then you'll see them pop up as a CEO in like six months somewhere else because they'll have what do they call them? They're called like garden clauses. I think that's the term, garden. Some garden, um, where basically you're not allowed to take another job officially for some period of time, and you get paid for that period of time, uh, but you're you're prohibited. And it's, again, it's it's basically all optics for the companies. You see it at, like, Fortune 100 companies will do it all the time. All right. Let's see. Oh, we've got a bonus story here. Hold on one second. This is the bonus story. Let me turn my music on. Hopefully my audio. Hopefully my audio is good. I just turned on the music, right? Jeremy Williams with the patty. Okay, guys, real quick. This is a hot story coming in from... Um, DJ BSEC. Thank you, BSEC. <clears throat> I'll do my best Steve Prentice impression here. CISA warns of active exploitation of PA Network's PanOS vulnerability. The U.S. Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency on Monday added a security flaw impacting PA Network's PanOS to its known exploited vulnerabilities catalog based on evidence of e- active exploitation. Blah, 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 blah. Here's the deal. There is a high vulnerability, like critical vulnerability, meaning that it can be... Um, actively exploited and i think it's actually being actively exploited unauthenticated by a remote attacker hold on you guys can't really see this okay this is this is when vulnerabilities go bad okay this is like the I, well i don't know if girls gone wild this is still politically correct but there used to be a show in the, like the 90s called girls gone wild but anyways this is like the vuln's gone wild um situation right here unauthenticated remote detector you do not want that if you're running pan os so if you're running a pan uh apollo alto uh and you've got panorama to kind of manage your uh your apollo alto infrastructure and you're running any of these apply the patch basic basic principles apply the patch what happens if it gets exploited essentially what it's being reported is a threat actor can launch a denial of service attack um from your system reflected amplified denial of service attack now it gets a little confusing to me whether it's denial of service internal to your organization or external I I think it would be external because if they can get into your box like they would just like brick your box and that would denial service you too but um denial of service from a single endpoint or like all your PAs like say you had like 10 PAs which is a lot Um, That's still not a lot um, as far as pushing data to a victim. But at the end of the day, it will look like your system is the attacker. Uh, Which again is kind of how distributed denial of service attacks work. Guys, Palo Alto firewalls are incredibly good at what they do. I've used them in my environments. They're fantastic. They're expensive, but they're fantastic. You want them clean and uh, up to snuff. So if you're running PanOS 10.2 or earlier, Go patch your stuff. That's as basic as it gets. Okay. Go patch your stuff. Thanks BSEC for the opportunity to do the read myself. All right. Where are we at? 8.53. Guys. So thank you. uh, Thank you for uh, joining me. Let me know um, in chat if you, well, hold on. That does it for today's uh, cyber threat briefing. If you were just here for the news, high five. Thank you so much for being here. Um, if you got value, hit the like button or whatever. But really more importantly, um, share this with others if you think that they would find value in the daily threat briefing. Also exclamation point newsletter. If you want to get this newsletter that I send on Mondays, I'll show it again. This thing is chock full of value. I basically curate one story that I think is wicked important from the previous week. And I tell you exactly what you can do with that Intel and how to uh, operationalize it. And then if you want to go a little deeper, this link right here goes directly to the time mark of where, so where I set it, right? So let's see, Microsoft mail scam. Boom. You click it here. Boom. You click it there. Boom. There's me talking about counterfeit USB devices, right? So it's super, it's super cool. I love it. I love it. I'm very proud of it. I want it to be, I want it to be a thing okay so thank desmond that's what we're trying to do here we're trying to help people learn yeah i don't know jeremy williams i don't i don't beg for likes or thumbs up or whatever i guess enough (laughs) but yeah we average like across all the platforms 200 people a day which i genuinely appreciate all of you being here and probably like 30 or 40 likes a day so I don't know. People, people seem to like the streams, uh, but hitting a little thumbs up, not so much. Which is fine. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't begrudge them. I'm not doing it for the likes. The only reason to hit the like button, really, it's not to tell me you like it. It's to make the YouTube algorithm push this out to other people because the YouTube algorithm's like, oh, lots of people like. There were 130 people here and 100 hit like. That means that like whatever. 70% of people who watch this content like it. Let me, you know, basically profile those 70 people and then push it out to whoever the other 70 people who liked it have in common. Let's push it out to people who watch similar content to them. So it's actually really awesome. Um, Yeah, no problem, Ahmad. Youssef, my man. Michael Starnes, you're welcome. My pleasure. Greg Wilson, yeah, I know. Only 200. Well, which is kind of crazy because, like, Simply Cyber has like 41,000 subs on YouTube and stuff like that. So if you do the percentage, it's like point, it's like a tenth of a percent of the Simply Cyber community attends the stream. Uh, I will say that with replays and stuff like that, um, like this briefing will probably get a thousand views today. Um, and then with the audio podcast that goes up right after I, I hit end stream here, um, that's another 100 or 200 people. So, I mean, we are reaching people. We are helping people. Um, but, you know, I just say the same thing every morning. Share it with people. Share it with people you think could get value. Thanks, David Taylor. I appreciate that. Leonardo, enjoy that red team. And did we ever get... I know. Team Live is, uh, is, is, is a lot of fun guys let me know if uh did we ever get someone from south america in stream i was really hoping um i was really hoping that we could run the run the globe today uh oh that's a good point hey guys just a reminder the stream is every morning at 8 a.m eastern standard time the daily cyber threat briefing except starting this thursday august 25th i uh, i'm also a professor at uh, the citadel military college and that starts up on thursday so Tuesdays and Thursdays until December, the morning threat briefing will be at 10 a.m. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. Eastern, Tuesday, Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. Eastern, Tuesday, Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. And I know Poner Joe's loving that. Uh, Panama, yeah, all right, we'll take Panama, good, good, good. Joshua Kozaka, very nice. All right. I love it, Nick Barker. Thanks for the effort, man. Thanks for the assist. Yeah, I hear you, William. If people are working, it can be tough. Um, And that's why I put it in audio podcast so you can slip it in your ear and uh, discreetly enjoy the cool stylings of the daily cyber threat briefing. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Be good. We'll see everybody tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Take care.